What is happening, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Cheap Seats Chatter. I'm your host, David Gillespie, and on the podcast today. Joining me uh, in the podcast is Alex Clark and Matthias Altman Kurosaki, a.k.a. Mac. Um, hope you guys are enjoying your week this far. What's what's going on on your end uh, over on the east side, uh, Mac? It's it's going solid. You know, uh, a rare sunny day. We have not had much rain this week, which is a miracle um, given it seemed like at least once or twice a week we had a severe thunderstorm warning up here in Syracuse. So uh, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy with what's going on this week here. And uh, man, you know, it's we're reaching the dog days of summer, you know, in in the baseball season. So you know, excited to be able to come on and, and talk more about that. Yeah, it's it's certainly going to be interesting now that we're in the the latter two months of the season, post-trade deadline, so a lot is at stake right now. This is where we get into real meat of the season. Uh, of course, Alex, you're on my side over on the west side, uh, over in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. Uh, I know we've got a little bit of drizzle go- going right now, but uh, hopefully it won't be monsooning anytime soon. But uh, in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm actually kind of glad that we've had a bit of rain just because there's been so much smoke. Up yeah. here that it's been it's been killer on the throat and all that fun on all that fun stuff. So the uh, the fact that last night we had a huge downpour today actually looks like a nice day outside. So I'm actually really happy that we had that uh, that little bit of downpour going on. But you know what I like even more than that is getting to talk about the baseball, especially since now we're starting to see as we get past the trade deadline, all these big moves really started to tell a few stories. Yeah, amen to that, Alex. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting from here on out. A lot of movement. Uh, I believe you point out, uh, Mac, last week that th- there were the most all star. Or was it maybe maybe it was Splash? You point this out that there were the most all stars moved at the trade deadline in MLB history. Is that correct? That yes, is correct. Were. Yeah, that, that was Splash. You pointed it out, but yeah, I believe that was there were ten all stars moved at the uh, you know during the trade season, which. Uh, it's it is the most turnover we've ever seen, and um, frankly, you know, on you know, I I enjoy seeing you know some chaos within the league with teams uh, making moves and players getting traded. So uh, it it was definitely an exciting and hectic uh, hectic trade deadline. But you know, I think this is part of what makes what makes sports fun. Yeah, hey, hey, there you go. You hit the nail right on the head with that. Um, certainly made for a lot of buzz, a lot of Twitter buzz, a lot of social media buzz in general. And we elaborated a lot last week on some of the number one contenders, some of the top contenders and how they bolstered their roster. But I want to get a little bit into, and we can still elaborate on that, but I want to also get into a little bit about the dark horse contenders that may be emerging as a result of some of their trade deadline moves. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Dodgers and the moves they made. They got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in a trade with the Washington Nationals. Also had Danny Duffy from the Royals. Just recently added Cole Hamels to their, their rotation. So that rotation is absolutely stacked. Uh, Chris Bryant going to the Giants, another NL contender, arguably one of the top three contenders, arguably three of the top three contenders maybe in that division in the NL West, which is just insane in terms of the activity going on uh, within that uh, particular one. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Mets getting Javi Baez, another big trade, uh, from the Cubs is they were in fire sale mode, sending out a lot of their guys, the White Sox getting Craig Kimbrell, but let's talk a little bit about some of the more underrated moves from, from teams that 
maybe we didn't think about as top contenders prior to the trade deadline that now emerge as sleepers, as as teams that we need to be taking as legit, bona fide, uh, uh, you know, threats for the World Series. Uh, so some of the moves that really intrigued me uh, were, were Eduardo Escobar going to the Brewers from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, uh, you know, the Blue Jays acquiring um, Brad Hand as well, in, in addition to Jose Barrios. Um, and 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 Starling Marte going to the Athletics. Uh, uh, they certainly make some interesting moves, and I'll get into that a little bit more. But I want to hear what, what intrigued you guys and why th- those moves intrigued you um, at the trade deadline in terms of teams that have emerged as those, uh, those dark horse candidates for the World Series uh, moving forward. Well, one thing I want to bring up, actually, just before we get to that, is something about the trade deadline, saying, again, we're, we all know how impressive this was, but there's one more stat I kind of want to read off about it that I found out. So over the course of the, of the MLB season from when the season started to when the trade deadline expired, there were 62 trades made. Right. Of those 62 trades, 158 players were traded and a total war of 58.2 of all the players combined. That is impressive. That is insane, especially when we take a look, especially at players like Max Scherzer or Trey Turner moving over to the Dodgers. But now that, we talk, now that we're looking here at what these trades really mean here, it does tell a few stories. One of the stories that I think is going to be kind of interesting to watch going forward is just in general the AL East. The AL East had a lot of very interesting moves. The Dodgers, actually not the Dodgers, the Yankees and the Bo Sox both making a lot of interesting moves. But the team that I still really like, and I don't know if they're going to be the team that makes it through here, is I really like what I'm seeing from the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have a ton of talent, especially with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. emerging as an AL MVP candidate. But it's really fun. The reason why I say the full AL East is four of those teams are all competitors. Sorry, Baltimore Orioles. But, I mean, the Rays are still going for that wildcard spot and are fighting as well for that top spot. The Bo Sox and the Yankees are still fighting over wildcard spots. And the Blue Jays, I think, are still going to keep making that run. I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that there's a chance that uh, three teams from the AL East all make their way into the playoffs this year. Um, There's a few other teams. I want to bring up one, and, you know, call me the homer all you want. But I think the Mariners are making their moves here. They had a fairly quiet deadline except for July 27th, which will we, – we've talked about that already. But um, they've made those other moves, and Abraham Toro has actually been one of the best players to, in baseball as of the last week. They, they did a whole thing on uh, F4 in the week after that trade was made. And Abraham Toro actually leads all players in baseball in that stat with a full 1.0 war, F war. So I think that trade's going to have some interesting moves to them, which then also solidifies an infield that really could have used that really could use an extra place in it. And then still getting Diego Castillo, who has been a good arm, a very good arm for Seattle, and has some more club control going forward here. He's basically a Another is another Kendall Graveman without as good of a sinker, I will say. Kendall Graveman is an amazing arm right now. I think he's going to be a very good player 
and has been a very good player so far this season. I will do, continue to do so for the Astros. But I don't know. I wouldn't count the M's just yet. They also just had a really good series against the defending AL champ, uh, champs, the Tampa Bay Race, taking two or three and almost getting that last game. Yeah, um, I I think the Mariners, you know, so I, you know, you know, I wasn't a fan of the Graveman trade initially, but like you said, Abraham Toro has really stepped up, um, you know, within his first nine games, he already has three homers, three doubles and five RBIs. Um, you know, he's he's 14 for his first 32 with the Mariners. Uh, he only had six homers uh through 35 games in Houston's which I mean it's not a bad clip but it's you know a 672 OPS it's not like he was lighting the world on fire but you know he's he's young he's only 24 so I could see him you know helping this team continue to get better uh Jared Kelnick got recalled recently and he's looked a lot better um compared to what he was when he first came up so I think the Mariners are definitely making progress I still don't know if, if I think this is the year, but I, this is definitely a sign of, you know, this team will be a contender. If it's not this year, it'll definitely be next year. And I think, you know, the future is looking very bright for them. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned the Blue Jays. I mean, the thing, so I think the Blue, you know, the Blue Jays have won eight of 10. They're starting to play very well. My concern with them is that that bullpen, you know, I don't know if Brad Hand was the right move. Um, you know, Hand, he he's had a solid year for the Nationals, but he's been lit up uh, in his two appearances since getting traded to, to Toronto. And I'm really, I'm really not all that sold on that move. I really think that if they if they wanted to upgrade their bullpen, they would have gone after a guy like Kimbrel or you know maybe a Braveman or a Castillo. Like I think they they would have gone for something bigger and better than just Brad Hand, who's a rental. Um, so I think I do think though the Jays are trending upwards, and I think you know they'll they'll probably be, you know, getting up there, you know, in the playoff race. I think they're starting to close some ground. And the other team that I you know I I think everyone needs to keep an eye on is the Cincinnati Reds. Um, the Reds didn't have a huge deadline. Uh, they've got Michael Givens. That was a solid move, but you know they didn't do a ton. But I'm telling you, this team, um, having just watched them play the Mets, the the Reds are on the upswing, and you know with the Padres sort of trending downwards and having not done enough, in my opinion, at the deadline, I think the Reds have a real shot at making the playoffs. And I think that you know the NL has to look out for this team. You know Joey Votto has caught fire. Jonathan India has been great. Tyler Stevenson. Uh, I know Castellanos has been injured, but, you know, when he's healthy, he's great. Jesse Winker has been fantastic. I think – and their pitching staff, Luis Castillo, is really starting to put it together. Uh, their bullpen isn't – that is pretty disappointing, but I think very similar to the Blue Jays in the AL. You know, if the Reds can get that all clicking, they're definitely a threat in the NL. Yeah, I, I think they could be interesting, and, and I always had them kind of in the back of my head as a team that could pose as a uh, as a threat um, to make some noise in the playoffs. I, I wouldn't say they're a contender to win a World Series, but a playoff caliber team, potentially. I think that there's a possibility of that. Uh, I think just with the concern, I, don't get me wrong, I love 
what they've done with their lineup. It's outstanding. Uh, I mean, you noted on a lot of those guys uh, who've just been killing it. Castellanos, arguably MVP candidate this year. Jesse Winger, uh, probably going to finish top 10 in the MVP voting, if not very close to it, because um, he had a, a spectacular year. Both those guys started in the All-Star game in the outfield. Um, and John India, been a spectacular rookie this year, uh, filling at third base um, thus far, you know, through, throughout the, the 2021 season. He's been, he's been very underrated, could be in the mix for rookie of the year voting uh, when it's all said and done. Um, but I, I do have some concerns with their with their pitching. Um, Castillo is starting to play a lot better now, which which uh, much, much props to him uh, for, for the way he's come along, because I was a huge, huge fan of him and had lofty expectations for him going into the season. But uh, got off to a very, very rough. Um, it, it, it wasn't, you know, it. It wasn't exactly what we expected coming from him, considering his talent, um, especially, you know, considering, uh, you know, his pitching repertoire and how he's just been absolutely blasted uh, anytime he's thrown on opposing hitters. 340 and, and you know, uh, on the season thus far against that pitch. And, and that's a frequent pitch he includes in his repertoire. So um, if he can hone, continue to hone uh, uh, his command and, and his deception, Moving forward, this Reds team could be a viable team to, again, make some no- noise and maybe pull off an upset furthermore uh, uh, in the National League uh, playoffs. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. But like you guys had talked about earlier with the Blue Jays, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're saying about Brad Hand. Um, but I think that he's such – he's he's a very underrated kind of reliever that – think has gotten his respect throughout the course of his career uh, to where we've, we've thought of him as more so an elite guy. I mean, we, we've thought of him as an all-star caliber guy, but he's been an absolute stud over the last few years. And, and this year, it's we haven't quite seen that same level of execution, but I think he's going to find a way to establish some rhythm sooner rather than later as we get down to the final stretch of the season. So I, I really think in and, and being in a new environment, uh, you know, with all due respect to the Indians, but they, they just dealt with so many departures, uh, uh, you know, Terry Francona stepping down. I think this will be, you know, uh, due to health issues, and obviously we, we wish the best for him uh, moving forward. Uh, but I think this will be a, a uh, experience that kind of will, will boost him into establishing a rhythm now that he's joined a, you know, such a, a vibrantly, uh, um, uh, versatile team, vibrant and versatile team in the Blue Jays is such a youthful team that's got a lot on their horizon. Um, I think it'll, it'll it'll do well being in that environment and finally being able to click uh, on the mound. But uh, with his addition right now, um, and and Jose Barrios, man, I'm telling you, man, they they swung big time. I know a lot of people are being a little critical about the decisions being made with uh, coughing up some costly prospects in Austin Martin, who's a you know stop prospect and Simeon Woods Richardson as well but those guys are unproven and we don't know a lot of people want to say well you can't give up the prospects but if these prospects were absolute bona fide studs who are are tearing it up in the minor league level like to a level where these guys are are destined to be the next you know uh uh uh, whether it's a Mike Trout or uh, a Steven Strasburg caliber player where they just hit the ground running immediately right from the get-go or, you know, and Albert Pools, who obviously tore up his rookie year. If those were those guys, yeah, you can make a viable argument for that. But we don't know what these guys are going to be when it's all said and done. This is still early on in their careers. And this Blues Jays team, man, they're already primed to win now. And and you can make an argument that because they're so young, you could wait a year or two to, to 
you know, uh, add to the roster depth, add to the roster, um, uh, 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 add to the roster threats with legitimate proven players. But again, this, this I, I say, sh- you, you know, uh, uh, hit the ground running while hot, you know, hit the ground running while you're, you're, you're in your groove. So the Blue Jays, I think went, went for it big time. Um, my concern is, you know, I understand David, you know, saying that, that, you know, they, they needed to go for it with Barrios and, you know, they was, you know, giving up Austin Martin and Simeon was Simeon Woods, Richardson, you know, those are two unproven prospects. Uh, the thing is that, so, the Twins were asking for a lot. It seems like from everybody. Um, oh, 100%. After, yeah. yeah, no, after our last show, I was uh, scrolling through Twitter and the reports were, you know, because the Mets were involved uh, with Brios at some point or another. They were talking to the Twins. The Twins were looking for Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil as like a starting point. Those are two established major leaguers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, thinking about it, Maybe this isn't as bad of a move as I initially thought it was because, like David was saying, yes, those are guys who are unproven and have yet to play in the majors. So on one hand, I'm like, all right, they gave up too much for it. But on the other hand, I mean, now I'm glad the Mets didn't go for that because the Mets would have had to sacrifice legitimate major league talent and probably more. So the Twins asked a lot. The Blue Jays gave up the price. And, you know, they are starting to play better. Um, unfortunately, they're in the AL East, you know, where the Yankees are heating up. You know, the, you got the Red Sox and the Rays, obviously, at the top of the division. But I think the Blue Jays, you know, I think the Blue Jays have a very strong chance of passing at least the Yankees. And honestly, um, as much as I want to believe in the Red Sox, I think, you know, the Red Sox are sort of struggling right now. You know, there's a chance that the, maybe the Blue Jays catch up to them. Uh, I think the Rays right now look to be the class of the division, although I'm still I'm still not completely out on the Red Sox. It's just I think the Blue Jays the Blue Jays are starting to look real dangerous. And you know, when you put that lineup with uh with two guys who are probably in the MVP conversation with Vlad Guerrero and Marcus Simeon and then you got guys like Springer and Bo Bichette, you know, Lourdes Goriel, you got Teoscar Hernandez, so many, so many dangerous bats in that lineup. Mm-hmm. I think you put together that lineup with a much improved pitching staff man if their bullpen wasn't so suspect i'd be fully sold on the blue jays going to the world series because you look at that team up and down so many stars i really i really think they're a great team it's just that bullpen is going to be their their downfall i think exactly and here's one more thing with kind of like on barrios i'm not sold on barrios honestly he's a good pitcher yes but the asking price for him from every team was way too high. Like this season, yes, he's doing pretty good. A 2.1 war, 3.31 ERA. So far, 133 strikeouts and a whip of just above 1.04. Like, you know, that that's good. But that's nowhere near what the actual, what I would say, the full-on value of him. I don't think that what they were asking for him was fully fair. Like if I'm the Mets, there's no way I'm trading away Jeff McNeil and Tom Smith for him. And if I'm the Blue Jays, that's a really hard trade to make, especially with uh, with with um, with Simeon on that one. As like with um, the prospects they gave, those were high, pretty good prospects. And yes, I can understand the idea of them being unproven, but everyone's unproven. To be fair, Jose Barrios 
really isn't that proven either. He's a good pitcher, yeah, but he's a career ERA 4.05. That's good. That's not ace. That's not an ace caliber pitcher. That's, you know, a 2-3 starter. And giving up a full package just to get that for a guy that's going to play every fifth day, I'm not. I'm really not sold on that. Like, I know for the, the Mariners were linked to Barrios for a little bit, but they were saying that that trade would need to include prospects such as, um, excuse me, such as George Kirby or Emerson Hancock. And some reports are saying that the Twins were asking for Julio Rodriguez. And I'm like, in no way, shape, or form would I give up any of those guys for Jose Barrios. Barrios is a good pitcher. He's good. Is he that level, though? No. And for teams that are still that are still trying to quote unquote rebuild or trying to work from within their systems, giving away prospects like that for a player like this. Yes, it's a buy now move, but it's not going to be strong for you going forward. It's going to be, it's basically like putting a bandage. It's like putting a bandage on a wound that only gets bigger. Like, yes, it's there. It is protecting a bit, but the overlying problem is not being fixed there. And, like, say for a team like Seattle, just because I'll go back to the teams I know here. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't think that giving up any players that have that kind of ceiling for a player that is that is a decent arm, that's a good arm, it doesn't make any physical sense. Because I never liked the idea of rental players either. And I know that with Bears, I don't believe he was a rental player. Um. But for that anyway, like, you're not going to have, it's like, you're just giving up many years of a future for one potential chance this year. But I can also understand a little bit more where the, where the Blue Jays are coming from on making this move. And that's because of the division they're in. The AL East is the most competitive division right now in baseball. And I say competitive, I don't mean best, I just mean competitive because four of those teams are all competing for either the division title or a wild card spot. It's a very strong division. Don't get me wrong, not the strongest. I still think that the NL West claims that that crown. But I don't know. This seemed like a very desperation move to me to go get Barrios. And you're not wrong there at all. Um, you know, I think you know, this is... I don't know if it's to the same extent, you know, you know, heading into, I remember heading into the 2019 season, obviously Alex, you are familiar with this too. You know, the Mets desperately needed uh, bullpen help. So, you know, they made that trade for Edwin Diaz, you know, with, mm -hmm. I look, I love Edwin Diaz, you know, he's a great player. Um, but that was a, that was a desperation move. You know, the Mets had to give up two of their top prospects to get him, you know, the, you know, the Blue Jays desperately needed pitching because outside Pyongyang Ryu, their, their rotation was very thin. Um, but at the same time, you know, so Rios is a solid pickup. But like you said, you know, career 4.05 ERA, that's not exactly lighting the world on fire. He is only 27 and he does have another year of control after this. So it's not an awful move. Um, but I want to focus on the Twins for a second. I think the, you know, the Twins... You know, I want to know what the asking prices were for their other players because I think that they did not, uh, they did not sell enough 
in my opinion. And I'm going to say this about the Colorado Rockies, too, because mm-hmm. I think so. The Rockies, the only player they ended up moving was uh, Michael Gibbons. They hung on to Trevor Story. They hung on to John Gray. They hung on to Herman Marquez. I think those are all guys that, you know, if this team was really committed to rebuilding, they would have moved. The Twins, they they move Barrios for all those prospects, for, for the two prospects. You know, good good move, but, man, who? what could they have been asking for Kenta Maeda or Michael Pineda or Taylor Rogers or Tyler Duffy? I mean, Josh Donaldson or Byron Buxton. Like, there were so many guys that they could have moved, and they just didn't. And, you know, now, you know, Mets fans were saying the Mets weren't aggressive enough. Well, if the Mets had to give up major league talent to get a guy of Jose Barrios' caliber, which, don't get me wrong, not a bad pitcher, but it's not worth giving up so much, uh, so much capital to get a guy with a career 4.05 ERA. And, look, I'm not saying he can't get better. He is clearly getting better, but that would have been a massive overpay. And, you know, I'm just I, – I, I was not um, – I, I was not thrilled with the the strategy of the uh, you know of of the Twins and of the Rockies because clearly I think they placed a little bit too high of a price on their players. Um, but anyway, uh, any other thoughts on this topic on you know some you know dark horse can dark horse contenders now or maybe you know teams that you thought you know sold a little short on this uh, at so the actually- line. I do have one thing, and it's kind of going against what you said just a moment ago. I actually like what the Twins did. I like that they weren't as aggressive. Because remember, we're talking at the beginning of the season. We're talking about the Twins potentially being a contender for the American League Central alongside the White Sox. This is a team that, at the start of the season, a lot of people had pegged for being potentially a wild card team or even winning the division. And I had the winning division. Yeah. And it just didn't pan out and attribute that to what you will whether it be injuries or just pure bad luck starting the schedule anything like that if you fully believe that the core that you have is able to do what it what uh, is able to do what it is hyped up to do and you just think of this year maybe it was just a stroke of bad luck i agree not being aggressive at the deadline and not giving up too much. Because at that point, giving up Byron Buxton, was, that's been your guy. That's the guy that this team wants to build around. So if you trade with Buxton, now you're going to be starting back at ground zero. And Kenta Maeda and Michael Pineda, I can agree with you know, trading away. But if you try and keep them to keep going forward with this team next year, when this team hopefully is healthy again, that's going to be a good team. And on top of it, they were pretty aggressive in their asking price on, on Barrios. And you know what? It worked out well for him. You got some pretty darn good prospects from him. So, you know, I think actually the Twins did the right move here, especially if they are fully vested on trying to compete in 2022. This is the move that they need to do because a, a lot of people like to romanticize the idea of making all the trades and that trading makes you better. You don't want to trade just for the sake of making a trade, you know? You want to trade to make a trade that is going to actually help you out. And with these, right, they got rid of Nelson Cruz, who they weren't going to have any control over, sending him over to the Rays for, honestly, not, not a whole lot. You weren't going to get a whole time for Cruz. And a couple other smaller moves. But you didn't really need to do 
a whole ton, especially if you are ready to compete again in 2022. Sell off the pieces that you can sell, cut your losses on this season, but don't give up on 2022. Yeah, and I get that. Um, I completely get what you're saying. I think my main concern was that, you know, there were the talks that, you know, that Buxton had not agreed to an extension with the team. And, you know, he is a free agent after next year. So there were talks that he was going to get moved. Um, so I think that they probably would have gotten a ton for him. Uh, I think with Bu- a guy like Buxton, is, and I know we've had this debate uh, within our department, but he can, it seems like he's never able to be healthy and good at the same time. You know, this year he was off to a torrid start to the year. And I mean, he was mm-hmm. unreal when he, at the beginning of the season when he was healthy. He can, he hasn't been able to stay on the field this year. And we've seen that in past years too. Like every time it looks like he's finally fully breaking out, he gets injured. And it, it's unfortunate because he is an extremely talented player. You know, with now that he's, it seems like he's figured out how to hit well too. And I mean, if he's able to hit with his elite defense and speed, that's a complete player. We're talking, mm-hmm. he's in the, he's up there with Trout and Acuna. And Otani yeah, is like exactly. some of the most complete players in the league. And, and I'll throw Tatis in there too. Like, you know, that is, that is an elite player. Um, and so I really hope he's able to stay healthy because I think if he's healthy, he can really help energize this twins team, you know? Um, so and that, we're all that, that. Yeah. And that becomes part of the problem with the twins is that you need to make that bet on, on Buxton. Is do you think with him, do you think that he is just snake bitten and he'll forever be injury prone? Or do you think that he is going to be able to be this leader type player for the scene, this franchise builder? And if you think that he's gonna be that franchise builder, then you hold on to him. If you think that, you know, he just doesn't have the ability to stay healthy, then you need to get rid of him. Yeah, and I completely understand what you're saying. Um Anyway, I think this is a good time, though, to segue into the next uh, next part of our um, our program, which is, uh, you know, t- looking at some MVP, you know, some some awards candidates uh, in both leagues. And um, I want to touch on the NL MVP race uh, first, because I think this is a, you know, this is a race where I do not know who the clear cut uh, favorites are. Um you know, the guys we all had basically heading into the year. Um, and even during the season, it looked like it was Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., and Jacob DeGrom. Now all three of those guys are injured. Acuna is out for the year. Tatis very well could be out for the year. DeGrom we're probably not going to see until September at the earliest. I mean, you look look at this league, and I feel like in the AL, the favorites are so, are pretty clear. But in the mm. NL, I, I don't know who can win this award right now. I'm, I'm trying to look. I'm looking at the leaderboards. I have no clue who I'd give this award to. There's a few different names that I like, and it's definitely going to come down to the second half of the season. Like, that's definitely, I mean, you can't judge a season on half its, on half its weeks. The AL side, I think you're right. You're very correct. That there are a few definite front runners. Although, for me, I think one is definitely far ahead of the pack. But um, when it comes to the NL, there's a couple names that come to mind. Here. For me, it's actually a pitcher and a hitter. 
So you got Nick Castellanos, who has been, we talked about him a little bit earlier in the podcast, where he has just been absolutely outstanding so far for, like, for the season. But then also, one of the guys that I expected to be good this year, but not as good as he has been, is Kevin Gaussman with the Giants. Like, I mean, we're taking a look at this Giants team that, realistically, I think I could say this and not make people too mad, this team is an anomaly. This team was not supposed to be as good as it was. And yet they have found ways to, even in the stacked division that they have, they are finding ways to be extremely good. Yeah, and uh, I think the Giants have surprised basically everyone. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, <clears throat> you know, the – yeah, the so, the you know, Gaussman is a reasonable – I think, you know, it is is a reasonable candidate now with all the injuries. I think another guy, uh, Max Muncie, I think deserves recognition. He's having a fantastic season. Um, Bryce Harper is actually having a great year. He has a 979 OPS, um, which ranks third in the NL behind only Acuna and Tatis. Um, you know, Juan Soto's really come into his own. Jesse Winker. Um, Mookie Betts has really heated up. Uh, so is Freddie Freeman. Uh, Brian Reynolds having a great year. If you want to go for the, you know, some lesser teams, uh, I think some other guys who deserve uh, recognition. Um, so Walker Bueller leads the NL and ERA. Um, he's having a great year. Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta are both having great years for the Brewers. Uh, it's just hard with with pitchers because outside of you know guys having generational years like Degrom or like what Clayton Kershaw had in 2014 it's hard to give a pitcher the MVP award. So, I mean, I think right now, I think where it's going to turn is that, so I also value team performance a little bit. I think, um, so actually another guy, I I haven't even touched on him, Trey Turner. Trey Turner. That's the guy who I was going to bring up with Turner. Yeah. So, you know, I get Turner just got traded, but I think assuming the Dodgers, you know, continue to play like the Dodgers and if Turner keeps hitting well, I think Trey Turner very well could be the NL MVP because um, mm-hmm. I think he's also played great defense this year. And, you know, as, as much as I love Nick Castellanos, I think, you know, he's having a great year, but he's also very vulnerable defensively. He does not look like a natural outfielder. So I think honestly, right now, now that I think about it, I think Turner might be the front runner now that so, unless Tat, unless Tatis comes back, I think Turner might have the award. So that's what I was kind of saying. You're saying all these names, and I'm just waiting for you to say Turner. He's taking a look at what he's done this season. It's actually been really impressive. Over the course of this season, he is batting 322. All right, all right, 322, 18 home runs with a 369, nice on-base percentage, slugging 521 and an OPS of just under 900. That's really impressive, and now he's going to be on a Dodgers team that's just going to give him even more opportunities for RBIs, which, by the way, 49 RBIs, 21 stolen bases. The guy is a baseball machine here. He can hit. He can hit with power. He can field. He can run. He can do it all. This guy is the definition of a five-tool player. And now when you look at Turner, you look at what's going to be happening with him going forward – I don't see how this guy is not at least a front runner. I think that this guy, if he continues on this pace, 
it's very easy to say that he could very he could win that NL MVP, especially since you said the big three to four are all injured here in the National League. But I think Turner right now is the guy that I'm going to be keeping my eye on going forward. Here, I mean, over the course of the season right now, 420 plate appearances, 388 at-bats, and has done better than he has done in it, basically in his entire career. Again, he's a career 300 hitter, which is also very impressive to add on to him. But a four-war so far on the season is definitely nothing to stop at. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, that's that's the situation in the NL. I mean, I think... I mean, I, 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 it will come down to, I think so. Turner for sure uh, will have it. Will have a legitimate chance. Um, you know, I think if the Reds make a run, you'll see guys like Castellanos and Winker get up there in the voting. Uh, Jonathan India, even I think India is going to have a strong case for the Rookie of the Year. Um, if it weren't for Trevor Rogers, he probably uh, India probably would be leading that race. So. Um, it's, we'll see, it's actually going to be very intriguing to watch, uh, watch the NL over these next, uh, next couple months, because I mean, like, I, like we've been saying, like no clear favorite, um, real, uh, moving on to the AL though. Um, I think we know who our front runner is in the AL, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have just one quote that, or one argument here for why this guy is the MVP. His name is Kendall Graveman. No, I'm kidding. I'm very much kidding. Um, uh, yeah, okay, it, sure. It's, it's, it's Shohei Otani. I mean, it's Otani. Oh, the MVP award stands for most valuable player. The main argument for pitchers is that, is that for them not getting in the MVP is because they only play every fifth day. They don't play every day. Otani plays every day and is a pitcher and is also a designated hitter. So every day that he's not pitching, he's hitting. Oh, by the way, he also hits uh, when he pitches as well. Have fun with that, opposing defenses. But you look at this, and over the course of the season, it's just not fair. It really is as a hitter, just as a hitter this season. 37 league-leading home runs, slugging 655, and an OPS of over 1,000. That's incredible. Like, we're talking about Trey Turner just a minute ago as a front runner. He had an OPS just below 900. Otani has an OPS of over 1,000. Like, that's incredible. A 6.8 war for him on this season. And we've not even taken a look at him as a pitcher. Over the course of this season, he has a sub-3 ERA over 16 games. He's given just 58 hits. Uh, seven homers, 36 walks, 106 strikeouts with an ERA plus of 158. I mean, what can't this guy do? When you take a look at the idea of the most valuable player, what are things that add value to a team? Players can only add value to the team via them hitting, fielding, pitching. Guess what? Otani does all three of them. The next best can do two. With hitting and fielding. I mean, <sighs> he's just he's, you know, and I've I've spoken this spoken about this on past shows. Um and, and when I've appeared on the Rip Griffin show. I mean, he's my, you know, my my grandmother is, you know, almost 95 years old. Uh 
in Japan and, you know, she basically just watches television. Shohei Otani is her favorite player. And um, he's, you know, my, my biggest concern coming into this year was the pitching. And, you know, come even go in, during the season, I was like, you know, he is, his control is a bit erratic. You know, I think he walks too many batters. Um, over his past four starts, he's only walked one batter combined. He's really become a complete pitcher. Uh, he's become a complete hitter. This is a guy who, if threw the ball over 100 miles per hour, hit the ball over 110 miles per hour, hit it 500 feet almost. He's simply amazing. And uh, obviously, he's the front runner, but I think we should not overlook the other guys in the AL that could be uh, challenging him. Uh, for one, obviously, Vlad Guerrero Jr., he's been, he's been phenomenal this year um and he's not the only one for the blue jays marcus Simeon's having a fantastic season uh so i think those guys are probably the top three in mvp uh, in the mvp candidates right now but you know what other players do you think we should be looking at for for the al who maybe maybe they've give those guys a run for their money i'm gonna be honest with you matt i know this is a show that's based around discussion there isn't one here like, I'm sorry. I love this. I love watching baseball and I love all this stuff, but we have not seen anything like Shohei Otani. And I know he's a division rival. I should be mad at him, but you can't be mad at seeing what he's done. Look, they're real. Like, as much as I love Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and don't get me wrong, he has had a fantastic season, a fantastic renaissance of his career. He had 85 league-leading RBIs and league-leading on-base percentage of 417 and leading league in OPS and OPS Plus, as well as total bases. That's really good. Like, that's insane. In any other year, in any other type of player going up against, I it's at least a conversation. To me, this year, it's not. When you are being a hitter and a pitcher and doing both of those, at a strong level. Take Shoei Otani's just his hitting stats, and he is at least a consideration for the MVP. Like, I mean, as a hitter, again, remember, leading the league in slugging, 655, leading the league in homers with 37. He's at least complete competing with Vlad. But then you add the fact that he is, I don't want to say Cy Young caliber starting pitcher, but he's a very, very, very good starting pitcher. Again, with an ERA of this season, what, sub three? 293 ERA, a record on a season of six and one, which again, I don't like his record just being out there. Look, there, I don't, unless Shohei gets injured, knock on wood, knock on wood, knock on wood. I don't see anyone else winning it. I really don't. I don't see anyone even being close. This may be a year that we have a unanimous MVP vote, and it all goes to Otan-san. You know, and I, 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 I share that sentiment for sure. I think, you know, as someone who's been following him for basically his whole career, um, starting in the NPB, I, I could not be happier that he's having this season. You know, so many people were doubting him coming into the year. You know, they, they were saying, you know, how overrated he was and, you know, that he he would probably have to just stick to doing one of them. And look, I thought that maybe, you know, if if he I'll, I'll admit it, I thought if he was going to stick with pitching that, you know, he'll probably 
you know, become a reliever. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I was surprised that he was going to continue trying to do this, but he's just been nothing short of phenomenal this year. And I under I actually, you know, you know as someone who values team performance, I am going to throw that completely out right here. I think mm-hmm. no matter where the Angels finish this year, which probably not going to be higher than fourth, I think the I think the voters have to give it to Otani. You know, I'll be shocked if, you know, the second place finisher gets more than one vote. I mean, I it's just it really is a two man race right now, I guess. You know, I mentioned Simeon, but I think that Guerrero has so much uh, on him that it's it's going to be just Otani and Guerrero, I think, for the rest of the year. And, you know, barring a complete collapse, I think Otani has this on lock. Um, the one other guy, maybe who, you know, or a couple other guys who maybe have a shot, I guess, would be. So Car- Carlos Correa is having a great year for the Astros. Um, Cedric Mullins, I think. Um, I think he's having a great year for the Orioles, but, you know, their numbers just pale in comparison. And so I think I think Otani and Guerrero for sure are going to just completely run away with this race. Um so one other uh, player at least yeah. I like, I will say. I'm not gonna say that he's really even in the race, but if you want at least a dark horse to go in there. One other guy that I like as well as the Xander Bogarts. Bogarts, I think, has yeah, done a pretty darn good, uh pretty darn good uh bit this year as well. Bag oh, three oh seven with an OPS of eight ninety one and fifty five RBIs, sixty-three runs and slugging five sixteen, an OPS of just under nine hundred again. But I mean, come on. It, also, I will say, and I'll just say this a little bit, I find it so funny that this is a year that we're, we're talking about an MVP from the Angels and Mike Trout's name has not come up yet. And I know it's because he's Imagine injured. if he was healthy. Imagine oh, if he was gosh. healthy this year. It's, it would be interesting to go to Angels games and just hear them chant MVP, MVP over and over again for two players in a row. Exactly. I mean... You know, it's a it's really a shame that the Angels and I, I know I probably say this once a day. It's really a shame that the Angels have two generational talents and they're sitting in fourth place. And I understand that you know Rendon is injured and Trout is injured right now, but they really have two of the most talented players we've ever seen, and they're not even close to the playoffs. They're not even they're not sniffing it. They're, a, they're 500 at best, and it's it's such a shame. I mean, those are two guys who I think, above all, they deserve a World Series ring, and they may never see that. Agreed. It's, yeah. it's so, so sad. Um, it but just anyway. that in baseball, you need more than two people. Oh, yeah. You need, to succeed. you need a full team, and that's kind of been the, my overall problem with the Angels for years. And it has nothing to do with team biases, has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with the fact of they don't know what starting pitching is, will never go after starting pitching, and will continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, which is the literal definition of insanity. Sorry, Angels. Yeah, it, it really is just, you know, they're, they're one game over 500 right now. Um, they have a negative 32 run differential. Um, you know, Jared Walsh, who just got injured, he was having a pretty strong season. He cooled off a little bit. Um, 
you know, you look at the rest of the team, that Rendon contract has looked disastrous. Um, their pitching staff, uh, so they just traded Andrew Heaney. Uh, Alex Cobb was having a pretty solid year, actually. I'm looking at it. Patrick Sandoval is starting to look like a real pitcher, but Dylan Bundy has been awful this year. He even got moved to the bullpen. Griffin Canning has been awful this year. Um, Rysel Iglesias has been solid out of the bullpen, but you just look at this team and you wonder, like, do they even acknowledge their pitching staff? Uh, An ERA of 4.67 as a unit. That is not good. That is 11th in the AL. Um, you know, if this team is serious about getting into the playoffs or trying to win a World Series, they need to put a much bigger emphasis on on getting pitching. Um, Actually, they, they, did, they yeah. did just that. I mean, look at the draft. They drafted 20 straight pitchers. Hey, yeah, look, great. That's not a bad idea. Um, you but know, they have some futures with, you know, guys like Reed Detmers, but, like, just the rest of the team is – it doesn't look right. Also, Detmer's got shelled in his one big league outing uh, this year. But, you know, he's only 21. He's a ways away. But um, the point is, I don't I don't know what to say about this Angels pitching staff. Um, but anyway, I think we'd move right along to our last segment. So we've been talking about contenders and all that. And I thought we'd go back and revisit some of our uh, preseason predictions on what we, what we had. So this was... Uh, this was me, uh, us two right here, and Joe Boric uh, back in, I believe this was, uh, looking at it, this was, um, this was on March 20th. So these were our, our predictions. We had in the AL East, we all had the Yankees. In the AL Central, uh, Joe and I both picked the Twins. Well, that's looking rough. Uh, Alex, you took the White Sox. I'm feeling pretty good West. about that one. <laughs> so in the AL West, we both took the Astros, and Joe took the Angels. Uh, in the NL East, we all picked the Mets. Uh, in the Central, we all picked the Cardinals. Or wait, sorry, Joe picked the Brewers. Both of us picked the Cardinals, and in the NL West, we all picked. Uh, yeah, we all picked the Dodgers in the in the NL West. So I mean. Looking at this and then our World Series predictions, Joe had the hot take saying he had um, he had the Padres uh, taking home the title against the Angels. While you and I, Alex, both had the Dodgers taking the Blue Jays, taking on uh, taking down the Blue Jays in the World Series. So now that we're, you know, two thirds of the way into the season, uh, what, what, what are we thinking about these predictions? You know, do we have any changes, you think? Uh, are the favorites still the same, or you know, just give me give me your thoughts on that? I mean, I feel pretty good about my picks. I think I did pretty good for the beginning of the season. Um, I didn't have any that were too outlandish. I mean, heck, even I think the weirdest one I had was probably Cardinals and that. But even then, like it made well, sense to Cardinals. All of us, all of us had the Cardinals. I, I like yeah. all of us had the Cardinals at least making the playoffs. They've been a complete yeah. disappointment. Completely, um, but. I don't really have a whole ton of. I think the only change I would make to mine is my World Series prediction, um, where I would get. I, I'm going to keep with the Dodgers, obviously, but I think I would move. Um, 
I would move away from the Blue Jays. And it's not because I don't think they're good. I think they are a very strong team. A very good young team that's going to be good for a very long time. But I think it's going to be close between the White Sox and the Astros for that position. And I don't know. I, I think if I had to pick right now, as much as it hurts me to say that, I think I'd pick the Astros. But so then it would be Astros Dodgers again in the World Series. Starting to feel like the NBA now. But um, I think overall, I like a lot of my picks. Like, I mean, going back to it, if I look at where they're at right now, I'm strong. Again, I had the Astros winning, winning the AL West. They're currently very much doing so. The White Sox winning the Central, very much doing so. And the Yankees are competing for the AL East, and then in the National League side, Mets, I feel like you're doing pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm not giving up on New York, even if they don't have DeGrom um, for right now. Central, I mean, that one could have definitely, I think we all could have done a little better on that one. <laughs> and then, you know, no one, I think, could have predicted the Giants doing what the Giants are doing. But with the Dodgers adding both Scherzer and Turner, as well as Danny Duffy, I don't see them not winning that division. Sorry. Yeah, so I'm going to go out there and say this, is that the only division race I think has been completely sealed is the AL Central. I think the White Sox completely have that unlocked. They haven't even played. In my opinion, I don't think the White Sox have even peaked, and they're nine and a half games up in their division. Um, Mm -hmm. You look at the rest of the the division, uh, the divisions, that is, the Rays and Red Sox, I think, are going to battle it out for the rest of the year. Um, who takes that? I don't know. It's a real toss-up. I think that the the Red Sox, I think I think the Red Sox have the more talented roster, but the Rays are scrappier and have found more ways to win games. Uh, the Red Sox have cooled off a little bit, but I do I still think the Red Sox are a legitimate contender. Uh, I agree. Lo- looking at the AL West, um, yes, the, the Astros are probably the most dangerous team in the AL, but I think the Rays, uh, that's uh, not the Rays, the A's, the A's are still a solid team. You know, they're only four back. That's not insurmountable. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's – I wouldn't be surprised if the A's somehow catch up to the Astros. I don't think it's very likely, but it's possible. And then, obviously, you know, the Mariners seven and a half out. I think the, Mar- the Mariners uh, still are within shouting distance of wild card spots. So, we'll have to see on that. Um, and the NL, I mean – the Mets have been probably the most frustrating team in the league this year. Um, I'm just going to say that, uh, you know, they're heading into this three-game series with the Phillies. The lead is down to only a half game. The Mets, there's two ways to look at this. The Mets should probably be ahead in the division by about 10 games. Then there's the other perspective, which is that the Mets keep tripping over themselves. How in the world are they still in first place? You know, the Mets if they were in a better division would probably be in like third or fourth right now. So you can, you know, hate on the Mets for being in a weak division, but you should also probably, you know, harp on their division rivals for not taking advantage of all these mistakes. And it seems like maybe the Phillies are starting to take care of or take advantage of those, of those uh, mishaps because, you know, the Mets have been banged up and they have started to underperform a bit. Um, so the NL West, obviously, I think is going to be a fight until the end. Um, I really think the Dodgers end up taking this division, but the Giants are definitely a playoff team and they will be a threat in the playoffs. 
Um, heck, we could end up seeing a Dodgers Giants playoff series. We haven't seen that since. Uh, that would be awesome. I'm pretty sure that hasn't happened in like over a century. I mean, I, I've been I've been waiting for a Dodgers Giants playoff series for probably my whole life. That's like when uh, obviously we've seen Yankees and Red Sox meet up, but I mean, the um, you know when the Cardinals and Cubs finally met up in the playoffs, that was amazing. Um, and speaking of which, I'm going to talk about the NL Central for a second. And look, you know, the the Brewers have been great this year. Don't get me wrong. And yes, they are seven games up, but you cannot count out these Reds. I know I said this earlier in the show. I think the Reds are extremely dangerous. I mean, this team, they've really begun to click. And, you know, while their pitching staff has been up and down and all that, um, and their bullpen has been iffy. I think this is a team that, just like the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants, if they get into the playoffs, they have a chance. And, uh, you know, maybe they're not a World Series favorite, but they are definitely a dark horse, I think. I think if they figure out a way to get that pitching staff going, they will be a complete roster. So look out for the Reds and I, I understand, you know, seven games is a pretty sizable lead. I think that this is a team that could very well run down the Brewers. So that that's my final thought. I feel like there's definitely a chance of that. I think the Brewers are probably going to keep their thing because they have one of the best rotations in baseball right now. But I do think that there's definitely a chance the Reds could give the Brewers a mark for their money. Um, if I can get to a little bit of breaking news here. Here, actually, again, technically not breaking because these podcasts go uh, live the day after we record them. Um, for the A's, the A's are about to lose, it looks like, one of their key contributors. As Ramon Laureano here has tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs and has been sentenced an 80-game ban by Major League Baseball. Ooh, that's a big blow for the A's. That's actually, oh my, that is a disaster for the A's. That is huge. Loriano has been one of their best players overall. I mean, on the season, a 246-373-443 split here. Again, one of the best defensive players as well, too. He... Uh, and this is huge, especially now that the trade deadline is over. So now the A's can't even go and try and trade for anybody to try and make it work. I mean, ugh, this is horrible for the A's. Well, oh, man. You know, I think this might explain – because, you know, when they traded for Starling Marte, I wasn't quite sure what they were doing there. I was just – because, you know, they also – they gave up Jesus Lazardo to get him. I was like – you know, I, do they really need? Um, do they really need to get Starling Marte? But now, I mean, they must have known something was up because now it's like, wow, good thing they did trade for Starling Marte because that is a disaster. Um, you know, Loriano is a is a solid all around player, and um, he might not be a superstar, but over the past couple of years, he's been one of the team's most consistent players. And I'm talking offensively and defensively. So, man, that is 
I, I don't get why people still uh, try to, to bend the rules like that. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens from there. But, you know, to me, uh, you know, sticking on the Marte thing is, you know, this reminds me sort of of when the Mets traded for Tyler Clippard in 2015 because, you know, the Mets, their bullpen was just fine. And we we're like, man, you know, or they, they, they were doing well, the bullpen. We we're like, man, why are they trading for Tyler Clippard? And then the next day, Henry Mejia got suspended for a season. So it was like, all right, the organization clearly knew what was up. So, wow. Now, now that that trade makes a lot more sense. And man, and what, they gave up makes, what they gave up now makes even more sense. They were in desperation mode at that point. Oh my, that's just, oh. the, man, I, I, I don't have much words to describe, uh, the, the level of disappointment um, in, in Ramon Laureano right now because that is in, in, inexcusable. Um, I understand if you're trying to get an advantage, but uh, cheating to do so is just, it's inexcusable. So, because um, like, here's my thing right now, like, with it. sorry to interrupt you a little bit. This kind of goes into why I don't like Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame and all that is that. People cheated knowing what the rules are. Yes, the rules should be changed. Yes, the rule rule needs at least some updating to it. But you still are part of Major League Baseball. And one of the rules of Major League Baseball is don't do the thing. Don't do the thing. And if you do the thing anyway, that's on you. That's not on Major League Baseball. It's not all the rules being bad. That's on you. If you have a problem with the rule, go try to get it changed. Don't justify it. Because otherwise, you're just going to get hit with punishments. And that's why, like, again, I that's my problem with Barry Bonds. But it goes here, too. Like, again, you if you're in this type of a race, I don't care if you want to try and get a better thing here. You can't leave your team hanging like that. That's just bad. And Laureano, his suspension here will not just stop at the end of the 2021 season as there are less than 80 games left. Um, so his suspension will bleed on into 2022. And if the A's make the playoffs, Ramon Laureano will not be able to play at all. Yeah, wow. So this, yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, but yeah, wow. So yeah, they will not be able to, yeah, they, they won't be able to use him. Uh, uh, until probably May of next year. So, wow, th- th- this really hurts the A's chances, I think, now. And I think now, by going back to that ALS, man, maybe they, the Astros have a have a, a better grip on that division than I thought. Because now- well, I mean, I, I always thought the Astros had basically the strangle grip on the ALS. But what I do think this does do is it helps the Mariners potentially oh, yeah, it, that second wild card spot a little bit better. Yeah, but I think I, now th- there's a. I think there's a better chance now that the A's uh, could fall out of contention or could fall out of uh, the a wild card spot. You know, they've been holding on to it, and they've had a solid year. Um, you know, I get that Loriano maybe wasn't having the best year, but like he was still having a decent year. He's still an above yeah. average player. Um, I think that uh, it definitely opens the door a little bit for the Mariners and the Blue Jays and the Yankees to start, you know, moving up. Uh, in that wild card race. 
So one thing I would like to point out here as well is that uh, Loriano has since come out with a statement on this where he's denying that he actually did this. Uh, so, quote, I would never knowingly ingest any banned substance and put the, t- the game that I've lived all my life at risk. When I found out that I tested positive for uh, Nandrolone, I was shocked. I take great care of my body and have an extremely regimented diet. Based on the minuscule amount that was briefly in my body, I learned it is likely that it was contamination of something I ingested. I've been educated about PEDs through the RBI program at Baseball Factory while growing up. I know I don't need any of that to perform on the baseball field. All my athletic success has come from my hard work, focus, and dedication to the game. I want to apologize for the distraction that this might have caused my teammates, Billy Bean, David Forrest, and the entire Oakland organization, community, and fan base. I'm devastated. Anyone who truly knows me as a person knows how much I love this game and that I would never intentionally do something like this, end quote. Um, so okay. it sounds like he's denying it, which... Okay, yes, I mean, he's denying it. If it's true that this was a contamination thing, then he has a case. However... How can Look, we prove it? Yeah, it's impossible to prove. It's near impossible to prove, I should say. There, there have been ways exactly. that have gone about it. But still, look, you said baseball players do have these highly regimented diets and all that stuff. How do you not know, though? Like, Or where were you at that uh, your food got crossed up with this performance-enhancing drug that is very clear you cannot have? Like... How yeah? How does that happen? Because I mean, we've seen this in other sports too. That's a thing, and um, you know, it, it happened. I mean, I remember I mentioned Henry Mejia uh, a couple minutes ago, and he, uh, you know, he tested positive three times, and every time he said that he didn't know how uh, the substance got into his body. Um, here, I mean, look, it it must it. It's possible that maybe he ate something that was contaminated. Um, I remember reading R.A. Dickey's uh, autobiography in which he, uh, or his memoir, and he said that he tested positive for a banned substance when he was in the minors. It's because he was eating something that he didn't realize it was like poppy seed or something. He didn't realize that could trigger a positive test. So he ended up chalking up a suspension for it. And I've seen it in swimming too. I remember uh, there was a Japanese uh, athlete who, uh, he was eating uh, rice balls, and somehow it got contaminated with a banned substance. So, I mean, I could foresee a situation where maybe Loriana was eating something, and somehow a substance got in there. But right now, we cannot prove that. So, look, he could appeal, but for now, this is an awful look, and I think, you know. It's really, it's really gonna hurt his team, and um, I, I, I'll wait until I hear the rest of the facts, and you know he could try blaming other things, but um, for now, I mean, the A's are in a little bit of trouble, and I don't know, I don't know where this is gonna go from here. Um, this, I think, is it's really going to hurt the A's, and because. They were already a team that, you know, they're fighting for that spot. They didn't go heavy in the trade deadline, and but they did get some pieces. I don't think, besides, of course, the Starling Marte trade. 
was. That one was a little bit was a little bigger. But I just don't know how well this is going to affect them going forward because of how tight and how tough the ALS is this year between its top three teams. Yeah, it's gonna be uh it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the uh the season unfolds for the AL now because like I said, you know, I think the Rays and the Red Sox have that uh have some order of those two will be the first wild card team. But then you got basically the A's, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Mariners all fighting for that one spot. So from here on out, who knows what happens. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I guess this is a learning experience. Um, so we'll <laughs> we'll have to see from here on out. But, um I think we're coming to uh, to a close on this episode. Uh, Alex, any other thoughts on anything we've discussed today? I think that so far from this baseball season, there is a lot left to go. Baseball uh, baseball heads like us know that baseball itself does is not labeled by just the trade deadline or the halfway season mark. It's going to come down to game 162. And at that point, that's finally when we'll have at least some answers on what we've been thinking I think that there are still some major storylines that we're going to be talking about for a good bit. I just want to see how far it's going to carry. Yeah, look, I, I made a tweet about this last night. You know, the Mets head to Philly this weekend for a big three-game series in Phillies. And I was thinking, you know, yeah, sure, this could be make or break for them. At the same time, after this weekend, there's still another seven weeks, I think, left in the season. So, yeah, sure, it might be bad if the Mets lose this series and say the Braves maybe catch up to the – or, you know, if the Phillies get swept and the Braves somehow end up passing them, um, you know, that could happen. But you still have seven weeks left. I mean, like, uh, to uh, looking at my Mets for a second, I mean, the, the Mets still aren't – the Mets aren't even healthy yet. I mean, they just got Carlos Carrasco back this year – this week – or, sorry, last week. Um, you know, they, they, Lindor's going to come back at some point. DeGrom's supposed to come back. Syndergaard is, uh, could be back soon, although maybe as reliever. No, you got, yeah, other teams who are still, uh, it looks like they haven't even hit their strides. So, um, yeah, no, this season is far from over. Um, and, you know, as we've seen in the past, you know, um, it, you know, having a big lead doesn't guarantee anything. So, it will come. It is uh, very likely, actually. I think that it will come down to game one sixty two, and I'm not just talking about like one division. I think there will be multiple divisions and multiple wild card races that will come down to the last day of the season. And honestly, I think that makes the sport much more exciting. Completely one hundred percent. I mean, remember, remember, remember two thousand eleven, which if you wouldn't believe it was ten years ago now. Um, when the Red Sox and the Braves both had massive leads in the wild card. That was back when there was only one wild card per league. And, you know, I remember the Red Sox went 7-20 and and the the Rays caught fire. And there's that whole, uh, the game 162 where the Rays were down 7-0 against the Yankees and they came back and won shortly after the, uh, the Orioles came back and beat the Red Sox after a rain delay. And, uh, you know, the, the Cardinals... You know, the, the Cardinals took down the Braves in that race and then carried their momentum all the way to a World Series ring. 
So, um, yeah, it'll be super exciting to watch. I cannot wait um, to see how the rest of the season unfolds. Um, but I think that just about does it for um, for us at Cheap Seats Chatter. Um, uh, you know, you can follow Alex on Twitter at the Sports Guy Two Four Two. David, who had to drop out because of technical difficulties, um, you can follow him at David G Sports TV. You can follow myself at Matthias underscore A underscore K. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, uh, the baseball department Twitter at baseball underscore OTH. And you can follow the Chief Seats Shatter Twitter account at OTH underscore Chief Seats. But for everyone here at Overtime Heroics, my name is Matthias Altman Kurosaki. I've been your host today. And thank you once again uh, for tuning in to this episode of Cheap Seats Chatter. And I hope to see you all real soon.